Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Okay, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the very first guest episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. I am your host, Jennifer Shinkai, and with me today, all the way from the US of A, is Dane Zumbalan, my dear, dear friend who I have not seen for too long. And it's so glad that it took us this podcast to get together. Um, Zane has a stellar career. Um, starting from his very first job walking beans, which I need to ask him about at some point what this job was that I saw in his, um, in his CV. But 25 years at IBM, including roles in uh, the US, Sweden and Japan, which is where, of course, I met him. And he's currently, let me read this because it's a long title, the Chief Human Resources and Talent Officer for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And Zane has always inspired me and struck me as someone who lives his life pretty full throttle with plenty of passion and energy and is a great mover of people as well. And not just because he's in HR and that's all about people, but just how he manages to inspire. And I remember saying, do you remember when we first met? Oh, I, please remind me, I should. <laughs> I remember very vividly, um, it was an ACCJ lunch and uh, you had come from a very difficult meeting with someone about recruitment <laughs> and I was the person working for a recruitment company sitting across the table from you um, and it, it was a very interesting conversation. It was actually very positive and we ended up doing a, a program together. Um, yes. But then we ended up working very closely on the uh, Deepen the Dialogue um, Gender Diversity and Gender Equality Program in Japan. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's when we got to know each other a lot better. But yes, uh, the reason I asked you to be on the show, the very first guest, so exciting, oh my God, um, only dogs can hear me now, is <laughs> about, you know, you've had your experience in Japan, so I know that you've heard about Ikigai. Um, but also because you've always struck me as this person who knows why he's here, knows what he wants to do, and um, goes around and, and makes it happen. So yeah, let's um, let's dive in, Zane, with maybe you telling people a little bit about this walking beans job and anything else which you think might be useful for our listeners. So thank you for the time. I am I'm very excited to be the first guest. That's yes. really cool. So uh, Zane Zambalan, uh, like. Uh, like Jennifer said, uh, varied career across IBM, 14, 13 or 14 jobs over 25 years. Uh, and, you know, really excited to go to, well, it's a very, it's a smaller organization. So 4,000 employees with Cancer Treatment Centers of America, well, they, they say CTCA and I'll refer to it as such uh, if it comes up again later in the conversation, but 4,000 employees and uh, just, we treat patients who are in their journey with cancer. And, you know, you work for companies where you know what the product is or, you know, the consulting arrangement. This is real clear. We're trying to help people's lives. And it, you see it every day in every employee. It's just a really cool place to be and something to be part of. So, you know, that'll tie to my Ikigai. 
Uh, but walking beans. That's so funny. <laughs> I forgot that was in the, the video in profile. The <laughs> so, so I was 13 years old and I grew up in central Illinois, which is a, a town of about 4,500 people. Uh, probably so 4,000. Same size as CTCA's employees. Okay. That's yeah, good. There scope. You go. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you did a lot of farm work. So there was detasseling corn, there was, you know, walking beans, which was just this horrible job. So in the middle of summer, 95 to 100 degree heat, high humidity, uh, and you had to wear long sleeve shirts, gloves, full pants, boots, and, and you went through the field behind a tractor or walking and you would pull the, the beans out of the fields or you would sickle them down. So if you couldn't pull them because they were rooted too deep, you would sickle them. And it, it was exhausting. It was, uh, it was for, I think, three or four dollars an hour. So it was, it was poorly paid, utterly exhausting and brutally bad. And, not, and not your ikigai it, guy, then? <laughs> it was, I did not find my ikigai there. I, but, but sometimes, isn't it, isn't it so instructive when you see things that you really don't like, how it turns you on to things that you do, yes. right? So I knew at that point that I probably didn't want to go into farming, you know, uh, that maybe it would be better if I used my brain than my hands, <laughs> which unfortunately <laughs> comes true in a house now. So, but it was, uh, you know, it, it, you learn the benefit of hard work, but hard work can be applied in many ways, shapes and forms. So, you know, I found a way to do so with human resources rather than with, you know, farming or manual. So right. it was really good. That's awesome. That's that. I think that's the first, uh, the first golden nugget there of advice is, uh, you know, it's very powerful to know what you don't like, what sure. you don't want to do. Um, that's a way to, to reduce and shorten the list for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. So what are the things which you, which you do enjoy, you know, with using, using your brain rather than your hands, what's the type of work that helps you get out of bed in the morning? So, and we're, we're tinkering around with the Ikigai or you want me to go directly at it? As you like. Yeah. Go for it. Dive in. So I love trying to shape shift and lead an organization from where they're at currently to where they want to try to be. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it was fascinating in Japan because you had to find the right way, manner, and method in which to do it at the time. So there were times when I had to be, you know, at the front of the audience and, you know, either lead or be completely vulnerable and talk about how I'd failed. There were times when you pushed people up in front of the audience and you supported and nurtured them or times when you sat back and you coached behind the scenes. You know, it was, it, I tried to recognize, you see in the, in going from point A to point B, I was just a, a, a funnel or a conduit right. from getting there. And I tried to employ whatever means method or method was most applicable at that time to try to do so. Mm. So, uh, you know, it, it brings back, you know, the story of the, uh, you know, Japanese tea ceremony, right? So the, you know, I won't tell the whole story, but, you know, throughout the process, it was create a situated in a scenario that could be interpreted by the tea ceremony guest, but then in the end to fade back into the back of it as if not to exist, mm. which it was just, it's a beautiful story to me. And, and something that I try to espouse, it doesn't matter what role I play in the, in the conduit, but if I can help get from A to B, that then I'm doing my job. And I, and I see that, I see it happen, not, not in, you know, accolades or recognition or something on the back end. I see it in people's eyes. I see it when the change actually strikes or happens and they wake up and they go, ah, wow. or, 
or when they feel it in their heart or they they smile with the joy of realizing they can do something they didn't necessarily think they could you know so i look for it in the in the reactive nature of people rather than in the the accolade on the back end i know when i've made a difference not not when somebody says it but when when i feel it from the person or the team with whom i'm engaging I'm getting what my coach calls FBGs, Sarah Fidia calls FBGs, full body, full body goosebumps <laughs> with your, uh, your description there. Like just that, that aha moment, uh, the realization. And it's that, so it's the experience of being part of creating that. That's right. when you, when right. you have that understanding, that moment, that awareness that, that drives yeah. you. There's a, there's a story that is really, it, it very strongly, uh, aligns with my Ikigai, uh, if I may share it. Yes, please do. So I was in, in IBM in, uh, in part of the business that was with a more tenured population. And the job I was given is to go in and uh, work with the management team and fix their mindset. So they were uh, frustrated, you know, disgruntled. The, the team had been told no many times. So much, in fact, probably so frequently that they stopped asking the question uh, as to what investment they needed or, or where they could try to change things. So, and they said, Zane, go in and fix that. Great. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, not a small task for at the time, a, a business unit of 12, 13,000 employees. Right. So was really just a, maybe it was less than that at the time, 9,000. It just a, but it was a fascinating process because I went in and I started by by gathering, you know, what's the current reality? So I ran roundtables with the management team, tried to get an understanding. And, you know, humorously, the very first meeting, the first person, I, I explained who I was, what I was trying to do. And they said, you're you're the latest HR weenie to stand in front of us. Why why should we trust you or tell you anything? Right. Awesome. We're, yeah. we're in it now. <laughs> so, so I answered uh, and I said, well, first I'm going to, take notes today and then I'm going to send you those notes and you're going to tell me if I got it right or wrong. I'm going to do it for the rest of the, for all the other round tables. So you're going to see what everybody says. And if I missed anything, or if you thought of something that you didn't realize during the process, then by all means, tell me, right? So just add to it. But more importantly, I'm going to take that and I'm going to build that into a summary of actions that need be taken that are aligned with trying to improve on the areas you told me are broken. And then on a monthly or a quarterly basis, and I did both, but you know, I'm going to give you a summary of what have we done, how have we tried to improve, and you know what what difference is it making? It's kind of a self-assessment. Both are we are we better now, and are we making progress for the future? I said, all right, we'll give you a chance. But then I then I did it. But where the story comes in with Ikigai, uh, it was we were rounding out and had established credibility for the actions we were doing, and what I wanted to do is really bring it together to to. You could argue there was some change being seen, but I needed to go out and, and get, you know, there were about 650 managers. I wanted to get all of them. Mm. So we thought, I thought it would be really good to have a leadership training session. So we called it lead to win. It was a full day investment, you know, in three of our sites. Uh, so we, you know, we did one on a, you know, basically I think Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, and, yeah. and then drove four hours to the next one, three hours to the next one, five hours. It was, show, it was yeah. awesome. But the, uh, so we called it lead to win. And we, it was such an important meeting because we had an external speaker. We talked about, you know, leadership and mentality, but the most important thing we did throughout that day, and then I'm going to rewind to the Ikigai comment, the most, I guess I'm telling the story out of order in essence, but, <laughs> but the, uh, 
the most important thing we did in that day was we had 14 business models, business, uh, business cases that we posted up on the wall, big, big boards. And then under it, we had takeaways. So we had an investment in site restoration. We had a $3 million uh, retention program. We had an investment in training and development. We had a variety of things that were applicable to what the management team told us was important. Below that, we had the rip and read of a takeaway of a one pager. Here's how you build a business case. The situation with whom we worked, what, what was required, the investment that was needed, how we substantiated that with the ROI, what the action taken was, and what some learnings were on the back end. Literally, you could take the one that was most analogous to what the manager or the management team felt the problem was mm -hmm. and take it with them and then replicate it. So the beautiful outcome of that was the we had about 40 managers volunteer to be a sounding board. They were they became the group that heard the cases being made across all managers and employees, and they would they would improve or approve uh, it. They would help justify the financial investment. And they would take it to the leadership team. So it became a self-propagating team. Mm. Now, now I'm going to rewind to where Ikigai came in. <laughs> so, so when I see opportunity, I, 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 it, it comes to me, you know, vision, right? So I, I kind of saw this possible. So like, I guess, I guess it was about two months. I think we had two months of planning, maybe three. And, and I was told that it couldn't happen by every member of my team and a couple of member of the leadership team, you know, we're not going to get the investment, you know, there's not enough time, you know, we're not going to hit the right mark. And, 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 you know, you can't necessarily be deterred by no, right. So, you know, if, if there's the right intent and the right objective, and again, I go back to having seen A and B, you know, I saw a B with an empowered management team that we were able to in the end to realize as you keep pushing and building content and substantiating the rationale, getting a couple of approvals, my, I had a team of 22 uh, HR members on at that point, and they start realizing this is going to happen kind of, you know, like it or not. I mean, they, they weren't, it wasn't, they weren't supportive. They just thought it couldn't be done. So, uh, and it, and it probably been 10 years since anything like that had been, had been tried uh, or completed successfully. So, so they, they kind of bought in and, you know, slowly, but surely, you know, it started to manifest and we, we made it real and it just became this, you know, a couple of weeks before there was a real sense of enthusiasm, but you go from people not thinking it's possible uh, and refuting it or fighting against it to getting on board. And then after it was done, that was, there was my guy. After it was done and they realized that we were able to complete something they thought not possible. And, and in the end, you know, this was like kind of on an individual level and a team level on the back end of that, when the team went beyond what they thought their current capability, then you start to question, what is my limit? Where can I go? Where, you know, if, if I've gone beyond what I thought to be my limit, do I have a limit? And there's this, there's this, you know, euphoria of having completed something they thought not possible and this fear of, if I did that, what else, what else am I holding myself back from? And it's this, it, it's such an amazing, I mean, seeing their faces and the, the, the jubilation they had, but also <laughs> I, I think it was fear one for, for what, what their limits were and not realizing it and two, what I might come up with next. <laughs> so, but like that's, that. 
I call that the magic of management. When you get somebody individually to think about where their fears lie and what they think not possible and help, you know, coach, nurture, and sometimes push, push them to a point where they achieve it. And then they're in this boundaryless condition of not knowing what their future limits might be. And that is, that is an amazing spot in which to play and, and encourage people. I love that. I'm really hesitant to put my mic back on because I don't know if you can hear the beautiful sounds of uh, Japan in the background there. They're delivering the, uh, the gas for people's heaters because winter, winter is coming. Um, but I, I really like this idea that you've said about there's the jubilation, this experience, right, that this is done. And that's a wonderful uh, moment. But that you, it's very hard to kind of place your life and your energies around the moment of success. But I really like this idea of the fear of the place where you realize that maybe the limits that I thought I had are not the limits I actually have. Don't we find that to be true with frequency? So we, we all put some form of limitation on ourselves. I mean, you know, it, it's gotten to the point where, and it, it's true for this webcast, uh, when a friend will say, you know, hey, would you mind doing, I just say yes. So I know, I know it happened in Japan for a women's conference and, and they were asking, they said, do you mind? And I said, I'll do it. They went, you don't even know what I'm going to ask you yet. I said, well, technically it doesn't necessarily matter because you cared enough to ask me, so I'm in. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, I try, I very hard, I, I'm, I'm diligent about trying not to do self-imposed limits. Mm. So, uh, and, and just stretch into it. And, and sometimes I fail and that's fine too. So, you know, and, and what you learn you know, earlier, you know, I talked about walking beans and realizing that's not where I wanted to be. You know, sometimes it's the failure that says, now, what can I learn from that? And how can I fix and tweak it and make it better next time? Right. So, and what's funny, the more often I fail, the better I get at it. So, because when we fail, the first thing you do, the first thing you do is get into your head and like, oh my God, why did I do that? I'm never doing this again. You know, we're all, we're all emotional beings. Uh, so, so, but it's funny because after you fail frequently, <laughs> you, you drop the emotion. So, you know, it, it, I mean, it still hits you, but it hits you faster, leaves you quicker and you start getting into remedy mode and you know, what went wrong? What could I do? And can I go back at this quickly and make it right or better or do it better next time? So, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of failing with frequency because the, the more I do it, the better I get at it and the, the shorter it lasts. Right. And so you can, you can make speed up the cycle, right. To yes. the next failure or, right. or, or perhaps a success who knows what will come right. in. The, yeah. The, one, oh, go the, on. the first thing I tell people when they fail is congratulations. Yes. Right. I mean, there's no greater learning. There's no greater learning in your career than failing and learning from it. Mm. Now, if you, if it, if you allow it to stop you and you get frozen there, that's a problem. Yeah. Right. But you know, and I, I'm hoping people don't do that and I encourage them through it, but, but I do start with the congratulations. That's a great, great piece of advice. Cause I, I think in the coaching that I've done around Ikigai and the different, you know, workshops, um, both for corporates as well as for, you know, private individuals, there is often this hesitation, this fear, like what if I try to change and I fail or lots of these what ifs. So how would, how would you, given your life experiences and, and the 
how you think about your ikigai, you know, the, the person who is between here and where they want to be, how would you coach or advise someone who's in that kind of what if, uh, what if I fail mindset? Uh, we all wonder. So, so know that, know that you're not alone. I, I literally just had one of my employees say, listen, I'm just faking it till I make it. Uh, because I, I, I mean, I'm waiting for the day when they figure out that I can't do this job. And I went, <laughs> yeah. so am I. I mean, it's, it's true. It was true in Japan. It was true, true prior to Japan. But I, so, so advice. I try to stay objective focused. I try to disengage my ego, which is tricky sometimes. Uh, you know, we all have it. I, and, and I, I just, I'm either going to, I'm either going to succeed or rather than fail, you know, if I'm failing, I'm going to learn from it. So I, I make a conscious, you know, you can play through different games. You can say, well, what's the worst that could possibly happen? Uh, you know, and, and that's helpful. And I've encouraged people to do that depending on where they're at with the risk aversion. You yeah. know, that's a good early stage. Once you start failing more often, you 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 give up on that piece of it. But that's a very good starting point. So, what's the worst that could happen? And thinking through, you know, the upside downside, uh, you know, and usually the worst is probably not that significant. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but but I would I would just I'm such a big proponent of trying something. You know, you can put the right amount of thought into it, but don't let the fear of failure stigmatize you from taking that step and and you know sometimes it's like just stepping into a pool the water might be cold it might not be you know but but once you're in and and have made that conscious decision to go everything gets easier you get you get stuck more on do i do i want to jump do i'm not you know and you know so the longer you wait the less likely you are to jump in the water right so i would i would encourage either play through the what's the worst case it could happen or you know, if you're stuck on it, give yourself a time parameter, you know, depending on the situation, maybe it's 24 hours, maybe it's two hours. I'm yeah. either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. And at the end of two hours, I'm in, or I'm going to back away because I don't feel like I'm prepared enough or whatever the case might be, but then give yourself, you know, a day to get back and get right back in front of the thing again. Yeah. So sometimes it works to give yourself a mental time, time bound lapse to say at that. So I've got to go at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think that's quite helpful as well about sort of some of the decision-making which comes up around Ikigai, whether you're going to need to uh, change your role internally or change something about, um, you know, there's a dissatisfaction with something which is going on in your daily life. Um, whilst you're doing that research about what this new, the something different might look like, it can also be quite helpful to give okay, this is research period until, you know, the end of February. Right. And then I'm going to make a decision, but I do not need to make a decision right now. And I think that can quite be quite helpful when people yeah. are struggling between that, like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? Well, I'm just in research now. It's not decision-making. So I just need to get as much, um, as much information as possible on yeah. this and then make a decision. Um, but you just reminded me with your uh, jumping into the pool. I think you have a story about like being a mentor with the right that's just reminded me that we were talking about briefly and i so, think that that's connected to some of these ideas around <laughs> energy ikigai taking risks doing something that you didn't that's really calling you strongly right? yes yeah 
So I assume you're referring, I'll, I'll tell a story. I think it's the one, if it's not. Then <laughs> if it's not, I'm sure it'd be a good one anyway. <laughs> so, so I, I, I love mentoring. I just, you know, it, cause it goes back to, you know, seeing potential in people and helping them strive for and realize it. Yeah. So I had an introductory meeting with a, uh, a young woman years ago uh, who was an intern for IBM at the time. And it's funny cause we were talking and it was, you could tell she was hungry or motivated, but also there was a level of fear, risk, or uncertainty there. So, and I said, well, you know, so I, I, I try to actively listen uh, and, and figure out, you know, where they're coming from, what they're about, you know, what, you know, what might be accelerants to their success or inhibitors. And I, I, so I was sensing an aversion of risk or fear, uh, a fear or an aversion of risk. And I said, do me a favor, tell me what do you dream? What's, what's your dream job? And, and she said, well, I'd like to be a motivational speaker. And that, you know, if, if somebody's more risk averse and they say, you know, they want to be a really good, you know, author or, you know, or, you know, or, you know, something where it's self, you know, more self and to yeah. yourself and mm. personal study and perseverance, that's one thing, but a motivational speaker, <laughs> like, so, how do you feel about being in front of a large audience? And she goes, it petrifies me. I'm like, well, <laughs> just, these, these don't match up. You, yeah. you know, I said the only way you're a good motivational speaker is if you're truly vulnerable. So you have to not only be in front of an audience, but you've got to, you've got to open up uh, and really share of yourself and, you know, your risk, your fear, your, you know, you know, to, to really impact an audience. And, and I, it was funny because I said, so what else? what else scares you? And she goes, well, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you anything, but you know, uh, heights. I'm like, awesome. Awesome. Cause you're going skydiving. And she goes, no, I'm not <laughs> like, like this just uber definitive answer. Uh, I'm like, all right. So then what you're going to, if you're not going skydiving, I, I tell you, I encourage you to skydive because if you do so nothing else is fearful, <laughs> right? Cause, mm. cause jumping out of a plane and, you know, kind of, cause I've done it twice, right. Jumping out of a plane and saying, I could die <laughs> on the back end of this it kind of puts everything else into perspective. Nothing else is necessarily that significant. So she was adamant. I got it. So I said, what I'd like you to do for the rest of the summer. And she had about 70 days of, of the internship. I would like you to do something new or different every single day. Uh, because over a 30 day period, it becomes habitual. So you become used to taking a risk or doing something, something uh, out of your ordinary. And, and she kind of looked at me and she's like, are you serious? And why, why would you make me do that? I'm like, technically, I'm not making you do anything. I'm encouraging you because you tell me your aspirations, but you also that you have a, an aversion to risk. So I'm encouraging you. If you want, I can mentor you and we can try this out. And she said, all right, fine. I'm like, that doesn't sound like you're all in. Yes, I'll do it. Okay. And you want to do it. Yes, I want to do it. Fine. So then three days go by, I don't hear from her. So I'm like, listen, I'm the head of HR for IBM Japan. I'm I'm pretty busy. If you're serious, you gotta you gotta start talking to me. So she's like, I just didn't think you'd follow up. I didn't think you were serious. So then then we start. So every day for the next, I think it was about 30 days. Yeah. Maybe 40. She sent me what she did new that day. You know, some of them were good, some were some were easy, some were harder, you know. And I encouraged her to go a little bigger every once in a while, not every day, but a little bigger every once in a while. And it was amazing. So she was fundamentally shifting throughout this process and becoming a, a different person, uh, you know, more risk oriented, you know, less fear, uh, fearful. And, uh, and then, but then she broke down 
She's like, I just can't do this anymore. It's driving me crazy. I'm like, okay, then renegotiate, right? There's nothing that says we can't strike a new balance. What is it that's, what is it that's causing you uh, the angst right now? She said, well, it's, it's the daily reporting. I'm like, fine. So what would work for you? So don't get stuck. Don't get stuck where you're, you're failing, you know, so renegotiate, like what, you know, what is it that, that is actually the sticking point and then twist it. So she said it was the, the daily reporting. I'm like, all right, how about we do weekly reporting? And she goes, really? That'd be great. I'm like, well, yeah, but you're still taking daily risks. So she said, oh, I know I, I, that I, I I've got that. Right. Yeah. So I'll do the daily risk, but, but trying to send you a note every night of what I did and what I learned, it's just gotten too much. Yeah. Got it. So we renegotiated. She kept going, which, you know, so she ended up just amazing. So you go from one of the most shy, quiet interns of, of about 25, we had an IBM to the end of the summer when they did a report out to all of the, the HR leadership, to the CHRO of IBM and her direct reports. So about 12 people in the room and she was the lead presenter. So there wow. were, there were two teams. She was, can you imagine that from shy from shy, too shy to really open up and, but saying she wanted to be a, a public speaker. Yeah, right. To then, to then, you know, being, being the front and center and talking to the CHRO of IBM, who is, you know, pretty, pretty senior and, and you know, powerful and intimidating. And <laughs> you know how she started the presentation? Tell me. She showed a picture of her having gone skydiving the day Yay. before. Right. I knew it's this was like everyone else. Yeah. I was I was so it. excited. So, you know, she she uh, I guess it was on a Tuesday. So she went skydiving on a Sunday before she presented on a Tuesday. Wow. And you know, it, I mean it was what this this you know, the motivation, the ikigai in me just went nuts, right? Because it was this woman who said her dreams but knew at that point she couldn't accomplish them because she would have been held back by fear, just embracing such change and an adventure every given day to the point where she did exactly what she was most fearful of. And, and it changed her as a person. It, it, I mean, you know, she became a consultant with IBM. She went on to get a full-time job. She, you know, traveled. I mean, it was amazing. It was an amazing yeah. transformation of an individual. And so that, that plays to what I love seeing, you know, how can, yeah. how can you help somebody realize their dreams? You know, her A and B, you know, her B of, you know, I want to be a motivational speaker is much I mean, I mean, I don't even know that it's much of a stretch anymore. I mean, it's much more likely now based on the evolution that she went through than it would have been, you know, had she, had she not done so. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, there's so many things in, in, in I wish that. I could show, I wish I could show the picture because that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, of her jump, jumping out of this plane, having this smile. I mean, the first, the first picture was fear. <laughs> but the next picture was this enormous grin with her and the, the instructor and the plane behind her. I was just... <sighs> I mean, it, it's it's one of the best pictures I have in in all my years in working. That's amazing. That's amazing. And and I love that a couple of things come out from the story. So Ken Moggy talks about um, the power of starting small with Ikigai. Just doesn't need to be like if you go from day one to skydiving or day one to like I'm going to do a motivational speech in front of you know in Tokyo Dome, whatever. Well, probably that's not going to happen <laughs> logistically. Who would book you? But I don't know. Um, but it's, it's too much, right? It's a start right. small, do the, this consistent little things, little things. It, yes. And um, I love that Mogi Sensei talks about there doesn't need to be a loud fanfare, right? It's just gradual. And the things that you kind of know already uh, just grow stronger and stronger each day and kind of, of leaning into it. 
And, and that brings me back to the question of sort of how you discovered this Ikigai, this idea of getting people from A to B. Was that something which crept up on you? Flash of inspiration? Or like, did it just emerge when you looked backwards? You know, like, oh, hang on, I see the places where I'm, I've been most myself, I've been most engaged. Can I, can I, can I give you a guess? Yeah. <laughs> it was failure. Right. So the very first employee I had was when I was, I think, four years in the business, three, three years in the business, and I was given an intern. So I had somebody working for me for the summer, and I literally broke them. I, they, they broke down and said, you're insane. You push too hard. You work too crazy. There's nobody who can keep up with you. And you, you expect somebody's going to do exactly work as exactly, exactly as hard as you do and, and come up with the ideas you do that. And, and I mean, they, they literally were shaking and crying as we had this conversation and it was, it was my first time to manage anybody. I was like, wow, this, this is not how I want to lead this, you know, I don't want to be this kind of person who, cause, cause the, the thing was, they were so good, right? right? They, you know, they really were exceptionally strong and I, and I didn't, I didn't nurture that or facilitate it or handle it well. Mm. So, you know, I, I apologized and I asked him to give me another chance, but then it became a discussion of, uh, you know, pausing, checking in, recognition, uh, engaging in decision-making. Uh, you know, it, it really taught me how to be a manager and a leader. Right. But but through that and through subsequent roles, so at that point, you know, he started to blossom, you know, and then I saw, you know, th this this is kind of how it works. So then, you know, the first time I became a manager, I, I was investing in the team and, you know, I was doing, I wouldn't ask them to do anything I wouldn't do. That included running a salary program where, you know, where Bob and I were at the facility until three in the morning together. <laughs> we're, mm. we're leaving and I asked him if he wanted me, I could take you to Denny's, Bob, if you want, but, but I left with them. So, so as, as I invested more, you know, that, that was the evolutionary part of it, right? So it was failure that kind of woke me up. And the evolutionary part was the more I invested and the more I entrusted and, and pulled them in and, and engaged them in the dialogue, the more I saw them blossom into it. So, you know, it, it, it continued the evolution through time. So it was, you know, kind of a, you know, early onset from failure and seeing opportunity arise. And then, you know, the, what I realized is the, the bigger the role I got, well, a couple of things happened. As you climb in an organization, you're increasingly asked to do more bigger, harder decisions with less and less information. So, <laughs> so it's a fascinating phenomenon right? Because you should get more data, but you know, sometimes the data doesn't exist. So you have to trust your instincts and gut more, gut more often, but it also gave me the opportunity to trust the team and to count on them more. So mm. it was, uh, you know, it, <laughs> so that was, that was another important learning that, you know, the, the more, the more I climbed up the ladder, the more I had to pull the team with me and trust them and, you know, engage, you know, and, and try to drive. Interesting. And, and I really appreciate that uh, as having you as the first guest actually on, on this, this podcast is a lot of times with Ikigai, 
there's something in the the myths or the the uh, production i don't know why it's like okay in order to live a life of purpose um you either need to be you know go and work for an ngo npo um or you need to be an artist um or there has to be it, it's not something basically that comes up a lot with a corporate career mm. right and this idea that you can align your your personal ikigai your personal reason for just being on this planet and the things that you do exceptionally well um, that are making a difference having an impact and that make you feel alive when you're doing them that you can align that with with big business and and business doesn't really come much bigger than ibm um from that you know that perspective of corporate right so what do you what do you say to these people who say you can't have your ikigai whilst working for a large corporation I would counteract that with a number of other sayings, right? So, you know, <laughs> find, find the job you love and then you're never, you don't work a day in your life. Yeah. Right. So I, it, I feel like I was lucky to find my purpose. I've, I've enjoyed and loved every job I've done. Uh, you know, somebody asked me what was my favorite. It's really, it's really hard. I mean, Japan was beautiful, exceptional, you know, it's, it's funny. And there's the, there's the anxiety or the fear that comes with, well, what if I failed this time? Well, <laughs> I, uh, I took on a, I took on a training program in Japan to try to shift the IBM sales culture to be more provocative and, and customer centric. And it was, my team came in. So three of three of my leaders came in and said, you, you're going to die. <laughs> you're, you've, <laughs> You've committed too yeah. much. You've committed too much. You you obligated yourself, and we see what you're trying to do, and and we don't think it's feasible. We're going to help you. And and I started to cry because <laughs> because they were right. They 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 were spot on, and I was really I was really stuck on it, and I was probably a little stuck on ego, not wanting to ask for help. Mm. But they saw it, and I it was. It was the most beautiful, most touching gesture, probably, you know, one of the most beautiful to touching gestures in my career nice. where, where, you know, where they, they came in and said, we're, we're going to lean in and help you. Like, nice. And I got the <laughs> Indeed, indeed. And just being able to. While, while I'm crying, yeah. wiping my tears away. So, right. but, but it just says, you know, so. I, I go back, you know, I, I, I try to embrace failure and I, you know, and I, I take risk. Right. So, and, it, and, and in doing so, uh, it was aligned with my objective. It was trying to do something from A to B and shift an organization yeah. and do something I thought meaningful. So aligned with my icky guy. And then lo and behold, little that I know, I, I needed somebody to lean in and help me out. And without asking, they did so. Uh, and you know, that just, it fills your heart. Mm. Yeah. And that you were also able to accept that help and in, in that yeah. moment not be still driven right like oh no no I got this I got this to actually be able to say no I I, I haven't got this at all you're quite right I so, didn't have it <laughs> yeah do not do not have this yeah and just even hearing the the introduction of the the program that was like oh that sounds like a pretty tough ask so well it, I um, mean the work we did on deep in the dialogue right yeah. I mean you know I, I would talk to women in, in IBM Japan and, and, you know, it's funny because I, I would say, why, why haven't you been willing to take the promotion? And we would have these, you know, well, I, I'd like to be able to do more of the job 
perfectly or correctly. I'm like, okay. So, and then it was, it was humorous because I, I would say, well, could you or your, and I said, well, what about your male counterparts? Oh, well, they'll take the job no matter what, you know, they're, yeah. they, they don't care. They'll, they'll do it. I'm like, so I'm the head of HR. My job is to put the best person in the role, not the one who's most willing to like take the promotion. Are you, so let me ask, are you or your male counterparts better? <laughs> every head every head went down and would not answer would not get me would not look at me in the eye would not answer the question right but that that created opportunity so i said what assuming women and men are equal but then we're promoting you know and, and this isn't true for ibm ibm actually did quite a good job of, of equal pay and you know promotion but but still there's always opportunity and I started thinking and, and I, I shared those things externally. I was vulnerable and took risk and said, here's what we found in the surveys yeah. and the roundtables that we run. And that became gravitational. I mean, people said, that's how, that's, that's the experience we're having. And then you and I started getting into a discussion and we started a, a quarterly forum where a quarterly workshop where we brought people together and looked at best practices and who was doing it well and who was in the beginning stages and what might help them. And we, we ended up building a playbook that, yeah. you know, how can we try to advocate for women in the workforce across the breadth of Japan? And, you know, you, I, you, me, we, we both saw an opportunity and we really put, you know, some, some effort and, you know, extensive thought into how do we do this right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, trying to really just make that open source document rather than than hiding the best practices like it makes for a better society right. so let's let's share what's working for us um or and what's not right and just being right. very very open about those things so that people had more information um right. yeah 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 oh well i don't want it this to go into a, a tale of what's happened in japan since uh covid has not been kind to women across the world in work so uh, not just in japan um so it's been a been a tough year i think for um that particular topic around diversity and inclusion but so, what i wanted to um ask you was we've really really focused on your work as you're driving ikigai but um how about other things in your life in terms of you know like how you keep the energy to do this these are big projects um yeah other things which make you leap out of bed in the morning so a couple of things, and I'm sorry, I'm looking at, you know, I, I was jotting down a, a point or two. Yeah. So, you know, I referenced earlier, the higher you go, the, the more you're making decisions with less, less information. The other thing is you, by default, the, the corollary statement on the, uh, you know, on the other side is you have to trust your gut more and more often. Mm. So I, I am trusting my gut with frequency on, you know, team individual, on individual team and organizational levels. So, you know, there are times when things may not feel perfectly accurate, but it feels right. Mm. Uh, so I've stopped second guessing myself and, and just if, if it feels right. So I, I've got to trust that I'm, I've got 25 years of trying to be, you know, a change agent and thoughtful and provocative and emotionally intelligent. So I've given up on second guessing and I try to trust my gut more and more often. Mm. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the higher up you go, the more risk you have to take, right? So if I'm not scared, if I'm not doing something that makes me kind of weak in the knees and, you know, stressed, uh, who else is going to do it? 
right? So, I mean, if I'm not doing it on a monthly or at least a quarterly basis, you know, I'm not doing my job because then, it, you know, if I'm playing it safe, then that's the, that's the environment I'm creating for anybody that I work with or anybody I manage. Right. So I have to, by default, keep my energy up and stay out of my comfort zone with too much frequency. Granted, I mean, during COVID, n- none of us are really in our comfort zone. Uh, so yeah. one of my, you know, just a sidestep for a moment on COVID, one of my greatest fears is that, so we all recognize we probably don't have the workforce we need for the future. Uh, and COVID has been, you know, horrible for a variety of reasons, but, but you think about how to shift for the future. And one of the biggest things is getting people out of their comfort zone. One of my biggest fears is that as soon as we get a vaccine and things seem to go get to a better state physically, uh, we're going to go, Oh, thank God. I can go right back to my old routine. Yes. Boy, boy, I'm not sure those old routines weren't necessarily working for us. Yeah. You know? So uh, that I'm, I'm fearful that we're going to, you know, just, you know, hop back to comfort, you know, rather than like, I'm, I'm, which wasn't actually that comfortable for many people, right? It wasn't that comfortable. So is it, is it comfort? Right. Is it status quo? Is it just the known? The, the, well, it's yeah. the known, right? The known, so, right? um, so to your point, how do I, so I know I challenge myself to stay in risk. I trust my gut more and more often. Uh, you know, really it's the timing is, was fortuitous for me. I, I'd never really been, uh, oriented towards uh, kind of uh, well, meditation or journaling, and I started that really at the beginning of the year. Right. So, so it, it was it was interesting timing because as COVID really hit, you know, I was I was reasonably grounded, and, and you know, so yeah, I guess the other the third thing I was doing is when I was journaling is I was also focused on gratitude. So. Mm you know, I, I became, it became habitual for me, you know, you do 30 days and then, you know, so I, I was waking up every day for a period of time thinking about the three things for which I'm most grateful. Yeah. And boy, that just shifts your perspective through the day. Mm. And I don't overtly do it now. It's kind of ingrained in my process. So as I'm getting up and starting to do things, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, kids are, uh, oh, kids are waking up. So kids are alive. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm married. Perfect. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've got a bunch of meetings today. Hoorah. Hoorah. Yeah. People need me. So, so yeah. you know, you asked about personal practice. So gratitude has been huge for mm. me, especially through COVID, because we can always, we can be victim to the environment uh, or we can just accept it because it is literally what it is. And we kind of don't have a whole lot of control over it. So accepting, accepting what is gratitude, you know, and meditation and journaling have all been really helpful practices. So you bundle that with, with risk and, uh, you know, the other things I referenced earlier and, you know, that's, that's been most helpful for me, you know, trying to be the leader I am. Right. Amazing. Well, I know that we're coming to the end of our time together. It's raced by, um, is there anything that you would like to say as your final takeaway for, uh, the listeners? Hopefully, hopefully you've heard it through the discussion. But I guess the final thing is be the change you want to see in the world. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? So, you know, I saw an opportunity with, you know, where we weren't, where we needed to be with women in Japan. And I leaned into that, you know, I, the, you know, I referenced the story with the young woman who was an intern and I just, I saw an opportunity there and I I didn't have to lean into it, but it, but, but I knew that I could and I could try to add it, make a difference. So you know, I, sometimes when you think about change, you know, the story with deep in the dialogue, that's big, right? But it doesn't have to be big. Yeah. 
Mm. So with, with, you know, the young woman, you know, it was, it wasn't, it was just one-on-one or, you know, I mean, for me to stay out of my comfort zone, I was trying to, you know, do something new in Japan every day. So it was, you know, take a path home or, you know, eat at a different place or try a different food item, meet a different person or a new person. So start small. I mean, if you yeah. care about environmental efforts, you know, have trash, uh, you know, it don't, don't be intimidated, intimidated by it need to be a grandiose, you know, show of faith or effort. It doesn't, it could just be small. So, you know, I started there and, you know, I, you know, I, I tied it to my, my philosophy of risk and other things. So I, I make it, I try to make it bigger and bigger, but it doesn't need to be. I mean, I started with small pieces and, yeah. and then just continue to grow it. To build on that, in that virtuous upward cycle. We have, Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Um, don't be overwhelmed by the size of the challenge. Just do one small thing each day. Um, and that it reminds me of that other thing, which is, you know, don't compare somebody's middle to your beginning. Mm. So, yeah. you know, like starting a podcast and I'm going to look and there's all these amazing people with uh, just gorgeous production values and very slick. And it's like, well, why don't I just start? and just do something and see what happens. And then we'll, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Because, uh, you know, when those people started, um, they didn't start where they are now as well. And I got to be a guest. I know, Yay! I know. They didn't get Zane on, on their podcast. So that's amazing. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing uh, your story, your knowledge, your expertise. And um, it was really honored. great. Thanks to, for the opportunity. Yeah, it was really great to connect with you. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.